looking at um, Christmas letters, we were talking about the ways in which we begin to see um, kind of letters from kids to Santa, the way hope comes in the middle of all that. And so um, I, I want to mention one thing. I hope you'll think about, even if you don't know how to skate or don't want to skate, or afraid you might break your ankle, or maybe you already broke your ankle, um, we hope you'll come tonight from 5 to 7 to go roller skating or at least watch people roller skate. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to participate or not, so I understand if you're on the fence as well. So hopefully we'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock. But I want to read just a few letters that kids wrote Santa. So uh, there's some bad grammar. You can't see that, but I will leave the bad grammar as I try to read it. Uh, some of the words I will struggle with because I don't think they knew what they were writing. But here are what the letters say. Dear Santa, why do you wear a red coat? Is it true your reindeer, which are Bonan, Blixen, Rudolph? Ugh, sorry, I tried my best. I have a tree in my bedroom. Can you put presents under my tree? If you can, thank you. And if you could, can you be a little quiet? Because my baby brother is a bad sleeper. Love, Kai. Dear Santa Claus, did you read my letter? It seems you did not read all of it. You did not bring me a nail maker and a bike. That is all you did not give me. Please bring it on December 31st. <laughs> Dear Santa, I've been a good boy and bad boy. I'm a good boy because I help my grandma. I'm a bad boy because I'm lazy and I don't want to walk my dog. What I want for Christmas is the Golden Ninja and Lord Garmadon from Lego, Lego Ninjago and Lloyd Garmadon the Green Ninja. Dear Santa, hi, it's Sophie. If you know where my black leggings are, please write me back and tell me. <laughs> Love, Sophie. This child is an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm a fan. Dear Santa, I would like to go to work for you. I can fold clothes, wash dishes, cook food, feed the reindeer, sew clothes, make cookies. I can get the mail. I can paint pictures spelled with P-I-T-C-H-E-R-S. I can also carve good. I can paint the sleigh. I can tape presents too. Your best future elf. Dear Santa, this is what I would like for Christmas. A snake opening his mouth eating a rat. Love, Hunter. Dear Santa, I'm not eating my boogers anymore. So now you can bring me some toys, please. I want a cat toy that plays with you. Thank you, your friend, Rain. Dear Santa, I've been trying to be a responsible person. I hope I would get what I always wanted. The thing I want most is a dog. Dog, dog. I know I haven't been taking care of my giga dog, but it's not a real and a dog would be. Would be. Santa, I would even trade my one and only mom for a dog. <laughs> I knew that a dog would be a big responsibility, but I've been bugging my dad since I was three and I'm tired of it. Love, Megan. Dear Santa, I want to thank you for giving me my grandpa back to me last Christmas. He came home Christmas Eve, but sadly he died January 1st. But you gave me my special gift, my grandpa, for Christmas. Thank you. I live with grandma and we are okay. All I want is frozen shoes and an outfit. Thank you. Love you, Sarah. Dear Santa Claus, my name is Yadiel and I'm four years old. I'm from Dominican. I'm I'm from Dominican parents, but I born in the United States. I wish you to give me something for Christmas. My parents do not have enough money for buy me something. 
My dad is the only one that is working, and my mom is pregnant. My sister Yaslin will be born is Christmas, and I will love you if you send her something too for Christmas. It will mean something big to me if you send her something. My sizes and clothes are the following. Coats, t-shirts, sweaters, 4T. Pants, pajamas, and interior clothes, 4T. Sneakers, boots, and shoes, 11 and a half. I'm a little friendly and loving boy. I've been a good boy this whole year. I got good news for you. I can sleep without doing pee in my bed since June. With love, Yadiel. I can't help but read those last two letters and just have this kind of um, notice of the simplicity of their hopes and their dreams. One, just a thankfulness that they were able to spend one more holiday with a loved one, the other a longing just for some new clothes. See, so it begins to open our eyes to others around us, to simplicity and the way in which others care for us. I want to say thank you today uh, to all of you. Um, this year, our church will give dozens of presents away to families in need in our community. Um, I don't even think, I think we're out of gifts to give. I mean, we can probably always find more people in need. That's never too hard to do. But thank you for the dozens of gifts that you will give. Thank you for the way in which you will care for others. In fact, we have cards in the back as you leave today. We've encouraged you to just continue to pay it forward to others. And so there are cards. If you go through a drive-thru and you can pay for the person behind you, drop the card off at the window and ask them to hand it to them behind because we want to model generosity and joy and hope this Christmas season. But thank you for the way you offer generosity. And what I also picked up in these letters was that kids live with joy. Have you noticed this? Kids that have a lot and kids that have a little, they all have joy. And somewhere along the line, for some of us, we lose that. We lose the joy that we knew when we were young. We get it snuffed out of our life by others and by circumstances in our lives, and we find that it is absent, and we, we either don't know if we want it back or we're not sure what to do to get it back. See, I think sometimes we confuse happiness and joy Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. Happiness is not consistent. Happiness is something that others can impact around us. It is something that, that the activities of others has a great, great impact on us. But joy, joy is more than emotion. Joy is a state of being. Joy is a perspective. Joy is a worldview. Joy is hope. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. Advent just means coming or arrival. It's the waiting for Jesus to come. And so we recognize the four Sundays leading up to Christmas as the four Sundays of Advent. First week is love. And last week was hope. And this week is joy. Next week we'll talk about peace. But this idea that joy, we've been looking at this series called Christmas Letters. And we've been looking at the letters of Paul. And we'll continue to look at the letter from Paul today to the church in Philippi. We're looking at Philippians chapter 4 in just a moment. But, but as we think about Paul writing this letter to the church in Philippi, we think about this, that Paul is writing this letter from prison. Paul's words are penned while in jail. There's some, some debate on where Paul is writing this. He was jailed twice. The second one, he was eventually executed. Um, scholars are split evenly about where they think Paul was. But if he was in Rome... Paul died sometime after writing this letter. If that is the way it happened, then this is a new perspective for us to take about writing about joy from a prison cell in which we are to be executed. 
as this morning, as you kind of keep that in mind as we think about joy, I know that's really joyous to think about, but, but as we think about Paul writing to the church in Philippi, I'd invite you to stand as we read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Paul's writing this to an entire church, to a full congregation of people, much like you and I today. He writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I mean, this is what Paul begins with. He says, rejoice. And then he repeats it again. And he says, I say again, rejoice. Now, rejoice, we could translate maybe better, like celebrate. So what Paul is saying is this, that there's a way to live where you can find celebration and joy in the midst of every circumstance of life. I mean, I think he's probably got better leg to stand on than I telling you that today. He's writing from prison. I am not. Talking to you, I'm planning on going home after this, right? I mean, like, I, I can go where I want. You can too. Paul can't. But Paul writes this about this joy. In other words, this kind of way in which we celebrate life in all things. And so one scholar defines Paul's understanding of joy in these words. He says it this way. Joy is more than a feeling of well-being or a positive mood. It is an attitude of exaltation and delight that is grounded in what God is doing in Christ, both in ourselves and the lives of others. In other words... Joy is more than our circumstances. Joy is knowing that we can find joy in whatever is happening in the midst of our life. Joy is something beyond that. Um, It's why when we talk about growing in Christ, that as we've been a Christian longer, there should be no cranky Christians. If you're cranky, stop it. Um, Like, there shouldn't be cranky Christians. This is part of what Paul is saying. Listen, I'm in prison here, people. Like, and I can find joy, and I can celebrate in the midst of life, and if you can't, then do you know Jesus? Let's come to know him in a way that changes the very outlook we have on life. I mean, it also is another lesson for us that Christians should be really good at throwing parties. In fact, I hope you'll come have fun this afternoon or evening, whatever five o'clock. I never know what five o'clock is. Is that late afternoon or early evening? I'm not really sure, but I hope you'll come and have a good time at five o'clock. But what Paul's trying to say is we have reason to celebrate beyond our circumstances. See, when we come to know the fullness of God's love, when we come to know that, then we begin to recognize that we not only know where we are, but we know who we are and who we really are. And in that, we begin to know whose we are. And when we know whose we are, we begin to know that we're beloved children of God. And there is nothing that can take that away. Our identity, our value, our worth are predetermined without you and I doing anything about it. So you nor I can do anything to earn God's love more. You nor I can do anything to be of more value to God than you already are. I mean, this is the reality of what Paul is trying to get across here. Rejoice, celebrate, throw a party because you know whose you are, you know who you are, you know what you are. You're mine. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I mean, gentleness, if we're honest, is something that's not all that appealing. 
Right? Who wants to be defined? Oh, they're just so gentle. Like, I don't know one guy in this room is like, hey, I want you to define me as gentle. Right? Like, no one picks. It sounds like the opposite of masculine, be gentle. Um, but, but yet there's something to gentleness that we should long for. I mean, so I, I was thinking about, we went to a comedian a while back, and John Christen, and in his show, there's this, he's talking about the church and how, like, we try to be super masculine, and, and um, he's talking about how he was at church, and they were having this men's retreat. He said, but we don't call it men's retreat, because men don't retreat. So it's called a men's advance, because men advance, they don't retreat. And, and he said at the end of that, and he kind of, this throwaway line, it was the one that made us all kind of laugh and cry at the same moment. He goes, if we could just all forgive our dads, we'd be fine. Um... Right? This is the reality for us, that, that we, we buy into this uber-masculinity because we think it'll make us tougher. When the reality is gentleness does not mean weak. Gentle does not mean passive. Gentleness is recognizing the reality of the world and the situation and choosing gentleness in spite of it. Gentleness is recognizing there's not a rule or a policy for everything. In fact, it's recognizing the church doesn't need to create more rules. We need to learn to live with more empathy for others. Gentleness knows when to push for justice and when to go beyond justice. When to believe God sets all the wrongs right and we don't have to. So there are um, two kids in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. I think I've told this story before, but um, we went on the, it was like the first big trip I ever took students on. We went on a ski trip, and, and we stopped at this place for like three or four fast food restaurants, and they had like 30 minutes, and so I was trying to make sure all the kids were off the bus, and there's like 50 kids, and, and I'm one in charge of them, which is crazy, I know. Um, so I'm just trying to make sure they all eat and they all get back on the bus so we don't leave anyone. Like, that's my biggest concern, and I see these two boys walking back, and they're spraying on Axe body cologne. They're middle school boys. I mean, like, that's part of what middle school boys do. Uh, they think it covers body odor. It doesn't. Um, so they come back spraying cologne and throwing gum in. I was like, well, that's kind of weird they put gum in because they haven't eaten yet. And Lamonte and Michael got closer to me, and I could smell marijuana weed just wafted from them. Axe does not cover that up either, by the way. Um, and so I pulled them aside, and I go, you guys have been smoking, haven't you? Their eyes are really big right now. Um, they're dilated, actually. Uh, I said, no. So I can smell it on you. Uh-uh. So they had the munchies. Instead of like acknowledging that and eating, they chose not to eat because they thought it proved that they didn't do that. So, so I brought over another guy who was a fireman because I thought for sure he'd smell. He can't smell anything, only to find out later. And um, so we got to the hotel... And I pulled them aside, and all the other kids had left. And none of the other kids in our group knew what had happened. We dumped out their stuff. And I pulled them aside, and I said, here's the deal. Um, You and I both know what happened. You don't even have to lie anymore. Like, I already know. But here's the thing. Um, I know in most of your lives, for you two, if people just call the police, that's the response for you guys. Is that what you've earned? Absolutely. You earn me calling your parents and telling you to go home. But instead, I'm going to choose to trust you for these next three days. I trust you. I love you, and I trust you. Don't let me down. You know, they were probably the 
two most well-behaved kids the rest of that weekend. To this day, if I ever drive through Bourbonnet, Illinois, and I run to Michael Fehrenbacher, Michael will come find me and say, hey, like, how are you? And he'll tell me about his whole life. See, sometimes gentleness is recognizing there is what is deserved. Punishment. Sending home. But what's needed is not the judgment. What's needed is beyond judgment. And why, why can I choose gentleness in that? Why can I choose that over what, what I mean, if it was my own kid, like, or some, like if it's one of my kids ever, you send them home. Um, but I knew their home lives. And one more person throwing the book at them wasn't the solution. So what happened out of that was I chose gentleness in that moment, not because it was what was necessary, because I, I was well within everything to send them home. But instead I chose gentleness because, because here's the thing, I believe in a God who at the end of the day, he sets the world right, not me. See, we can choose gentleness in moments because we know a God who redeems and restores and makes all the wrongs right. Now, I am not advocating for us to ignore doing God's justice in the world. We should not be people who are advocates for God to redeem brokenness around us. I'm not advocating for that, but I am encouraging us to recognize that sometimes another rule or another policy is not the solution. Sometimes empathy carries greater, God, greater justice for God in the world than one more set of rules. Paul then does what he does so often. He, he prays. And he prays this, that we would learn to not be anxious about anything, that we would find that we can go to God in, in prayer for everything in our life. And so he's saying, will you, will you trust God with yourselves, with all of you, and with your circumstances? We approach God with those things in your life all the time because what he wants us to remember is that when we pray, we should remember that God loves us and that God's love is so powerful that even death itself could not contain it. And there's a wisdom that comes in knowing God's love, which happens the time we spend in prayer. And what he doesn't say here, but he implies is this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. If it matters to you, it matters to God. I mean, this is something that we think about, and we go, well, yeah, but people, we like lots of weird stuff and stuff that's not all that valuable. True. But here's the thing. The more we come to know God, the more we come to know his son Jesus, the more the Spirit begins to define the very essence of our being, the more that we look like the image of God we were created in. And those things that matter to us begin to matter more because they begin to look like the things that matter to God. See, I, I'm reading this book right now. It's like kind of over my head, but I'm reading it anyway. And so um, the one phrase I've caught that I really like and appreciate and believe to be true is this, that we are what we love. We are what we love. The author goes to talk about, he's, he's talking about how we're shaped by all kinds of things around us. And he, he uses an illustration of a shopping mall and how we are shaped by the signs and by the practices, how we are shaped by what we do through athletics or music, that we are shaped by every aspect of life. And when it comes to being a follower of Christ, are we shaped in the image of Jesus because we are what we love? Do we do the practices of the followers of Jesus or are we shaped by everything else? That's why these weekly gatherings are so important. They reorient us to the world around us to begin to see with empathy and gentleness and the way God calls us to live. And they help us to be shaped in the image of Jesus. So Paul then says, well, pray with thanksgiving, pray with thankfulness, because here's the thing, that you'll begin to know this joy that comes from God 
this joy that, that comes to define you. And he says, I'll give you this peace that surpasses all understanding. I, I do want to say today, um, kind of a side note, and that if you struggle with anxiety today, that maybe God's answer to your prayer about not being anxious really is your medication. Um, I think sometimes we have done a disservice in the life of the church by going, oh, if you struggle with anxiety or depression, like, oh, just pray more. Sometimes the answer to your prayer comes from your doctor. We know that to be true in surgeries. We know that to be true in other areas of life. So that sometimes the church has been the worst culprit in terms of mental health. And I want to say to you today that if you need medication, that may be God's answering of your prayer. It may be the peace that surpasses all understanding comes with the aid of others. That's why Paul's writing to a whole group of people, not just saying just you. If you would just pray more, he's saying, no, if all of us would spend more time in prayer, that anxiety would not define the church. But if we approach God with thanksgiving, with longing, this peace that he promises to give is really beyond our understanding. It's the only kind of peace that can come when God is at work in our life. It is beyond our comprehension. It doesn't make sense. It's why people like Stephen in the book of Acts can say, as they're being stoned to death, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's why I've read the story before of the woman in South Africa during, during apartheid and when the policeman who had killed her husband and her son is on trial and she gets up to speak, she says to the man, not only do I forgive you, but in whatever time I have left, you will serve as my son. Right? That doesn't happen without a peace that surpasses our understanding. It's why I have been a part of, since I've just been here, 56 funerals. I've been at the bedside of at least a dozen people as they took their last breath. And maybe the most peaceful one was, was Dick Fry. Because he knew joy. He knew a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make it hurt less. It doesn't make our grief less real. But when you can find joy in the current circumstances of your life, when you can live as someone who knows that I, don't, I know it doesn't make sense for me to choose gentleness. I know it doesn't make sense for me to forgive. I know it doesn't make sense for me to celebrate life in the middle of what I'm going through. I know it doesn't make sense, but somehow God is present with me. He is with me in a way that is beyond my understanding. And the truth is, faith in general, believing in Jesus in general, is always beyond our understanding. What do you mean somehow God loved us enough that he sent his only son to die for us so that you and I could know life to its fullest, both now and in the life to come? Like, that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, in no world does that actually make sense. But I believe it to be true. And yet, the more I've come to know that, the more peace that exists in my own life, and the more it exists in those I've come to know around me. But see, Paul can write this. Paul can write with hope and conviction and belief because he knows this peace. Because what Paul is saying is this. There are things in life beyond what we can control. Will you trust your future to God? All of us deal with stuff in life we can't control. Will we trust our present and our future to God? I mean, Paul... Paul's writing from prison. Paul's writing before death. But Paul is not that worried. Because Paul knows who he is, and Paul knows whose he is. 
He wants us to know that in the midst of anxiety and fear and the unknown, there's a God who loves us enough that can not only like be present with us, which is the whole point of Christmas, Christ with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that not only is that true, but, but in the middle of that, he'll guard our hearts so that we can know that love which surpasses our understanding. It's beyond us. And when you come to know that love in that way, when God's love is what kind of guards your heart, then you can offer gentleness to others. Then you can be a person of gentleness in ways that don't make sense. Then you can be be beyond who you thought you could be. And I, and I would say it this way. Um, can you imagine the attractiveness of someone who is joyful in the midst of circumstances that don't make sense? People who are gentle when gentleness doesn't really make sense. People who are drawing others in. I, I, there's, a, there's a kind of an analogy I've been thinking about a lot lately. Like, think about a piece of rope. Um, have you ever tried to push rope? Like, it doesn't work. It's like you're trying to get something. I'm just going to push this. You can push rope all day long and it goes nowhere. Pushing rope gets you nothing except irritated. I've tried this. I know it doesn't work. But you don't push rope, you pull rope. Right? There's something about a pulling. So what if, what if those who are followers of Jesus, what if we lived as people who drew others in, who pulled others in by our very lives, by the gentleness, by the love, by the joy, by the celebration of life that we live with, that we were people who pulled others along. By, we were a draw, not a push. Right, we can push people, we can try to push people towards Jesus. It doesn't work, by the way. But people who are joyful and gentle are rope pullers, and people who are cynics and cranky are rope pushers. You and I get to choose which one we're going to be. Joyful and gentle or cynical and cranky. One of them is a rope puller and one of them is a rope pusher. You and I get to determine which one we want to live out. That's what Paul's trying to say to us here. Will you embrace the God who says to you, I love you. I'll let you know who you are. I'll let you know whose you are. You're the beloved child of God. I will not only let you know that, but then I will invite you to know joy that you can celebrate in all of life and irregardless of circumstances, that you can know peace that surpasses all understanding. This is the reason we celebrate Christmas because it is what we'll talk about these next two weeks. The peace that God gives to us is the peace of his presence. It's why we talk about the celebration of Christmas is Christ with us. It is Christ in us. It is that the Lord is near is that there is hope in the present that God is with you and I. So the gift that God gives is the joy that comes irregardless of all circumstances. And so you and I get to say these these characteristics of each week here, faith, hope, joy, love, peace, will they be the the characteristics that define our lives or will we be defined by something else? Will we be pullers of rope or pushers of rope? Will we be joyful and gentle? Be cranky and cynical? And God invites us to know him in such a way that that joyful and gentle and hope-filled and loving will be the defining characteristics of our life. And if you and I will begin to live that way, just imagine, just, just, just imagine for a minute the way that might draw others into knowing us.
And not, not just to know us, but to know him who helped us live into that. It's why today, I, I want to say this, let's be people who learn to know joy. Let's celebrate well. Let's learn to have fun. Like the church should be the place with the most fun, not the least fun. I mean, I, I remember sitting in church sometimes thinking, are we, does everybody look so angry? It's okay to smile sometimes. Like, I know this is serious. We think it eternally matters, but, but here's the thing. Like, if you've come to know Jesus, you can celebrate this life and the life to come because you're not worried about tomorrow. That's why Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, pray with thanksgiving to the God who gives, who guards your hearts, who gives you peace that surpasses all understanding, that we can live as a people of hope, who aren't pushing rope, but are living as people who pull rope and invite others along with us. And here's the cool thing. I believe if we will live that out, and the song we started with today will be the song that we finish with today, that God really will build his kingdom here among us. And I don't mean in this space, by the way. I mean in this community and the world around us. Because the church is never a place that we go. It is always the people that we are. The church is never defined by walls or addresses, or locations. It is always defined by the character and the nature of God and his people who are defined by love. And so will you and I be people who are pullers, not pushers of rope? We pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today to be your unique people in the world. That we recognize you desperately want to do your work here among us and in us and through us. In ways that are beyond our comprehension and our imagination that you want to really build your kingdom here that you want us to be defined by your hope. And so this next week, as we celebrate the idea of Christ with us, that God is with us and how that changes everything, as we move towards being a people who recognize that we are what we love and we want to think seriously about what it is that we love and why, and we want to be so defined by your hope that our gentleness becomes evident, that we as a people, we as your church, will not create rules that keep people out, but will live in such a way that we draw others in. That hope will reign in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And we'll be the kind of people that are so defined by your love that it will be infectious and contagious. We'll live as a people who celebrate life well, who are full of joy and hope and we'll know your peace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.